I'm here on an overcast but dry day in Perth for an unscripted, even no ties, discussion with David Scott on his home turf. Unfortunately, Brian Gerrish can't be with us, he's at the other end of the country, but the three of us had intended to do a joint thoughtful response to the various feedback, particularly the criticism that we got after our three-part interview with Sheikh Imran Hossein was disseminated. So we thought a two-man response in the circumstances was better than nothing. David, were you taken aback by the volume or the intensity of the largely Christian criticism that we got? No, not really. The, I, mean, I think firstly we should say that we got a vastly positive response by and large. The Muslim response, I think, was almost entirely positive. I saw one comment under the Sheikh's own YouTube channel, I do not trust these guys, they look like spooks. Otherwise, well, pretty overwhelmingly receptive. And, and the, the Christian response was much more mixed. Um, I wasn't entirely surprised, but I found the responses actually extremely interesting. And I think it revealed quite a quite a, a good deal about some of the issues in Christendom, some of the problems of ideas and concepts uh, that we need to be talking more about. And uh, I, I found the response, although some of it was quite hostile, I found it fascinating, and I'm I'm, I'm very pleased that we get a chance now to talk about it. Well, I've made a log mainly of phrases and adjectives taken from people's feedback comments, which we can go through in a moment. Uh, to be quite frank, my summary of some of these is misplaced certainty as to our intentions. And this is something that you came across as well, uh, David, when you were getting a flood of responses, you were saying a lot of these people didn't have a clue what we were setting out to achieve. And we're not the kind of media outfit that spoon-feed people with, we are intending to hold this dialogue for the following purposes. Yeah. So we yeah. had assumed the audience would work it out from the detail of the comments made in the upload itself. So some of the comments were along the lines of, you should be evangelizing this match. You should be, you should be taking um, the, the message of, of Jesus Christ to him in an uncompromising way and exposing all of the things which he believes which aren't so. So that's the first of my list. You are uncritically sharing Muslim teaching with a man who is an antichrist and who is going to hell. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So, firstly, um, the reason that we were interviewing wasn't due to the errors that he may repeat or, or believe because if we were interested in error, um, it's a target-rich environment. You know, we would have much to choose from in every form of human activity. Uh, we were interested in truth, and the reason that I was intrigued by the Sheikh is here's this man with different beliefs, a different background, saying things which I recognize as truthful, and not just truthful, but dangerous and requiring a degree of courage and gallantry to speak. And he was clearly getting a lot of criticism from within his own community, but he was saying the things he believed to be true anyway. He is I getting Muslims telling him that he is going to hell, yeah. and that he's sadly lost, and uh, accusations about his private life as well, as a result of what he's been saying about the monetary system and about the uh, false basis of theology and reasoning within the world of Islam. And, and th these are two of the things that we look for. The truth, and the truth stands up and defends itself. It doesn't require anyone to defend it. And, and courage in people who are speaking, and people who will continue to speak, uh, even when it's manifestly making their life more difficult, and it would be easy simply to be quiet or, or to tone it all down and moderate uh, the message and it's the people who refuse to do so that we find particularly interesting because it's that determination not to compromise that that stands some chance of getting at getting at the truth and getting at, at messages that would be otherwise missed 
And for his part, Sheikh Imran has said that it's partly his background, Afghan ancestry and then West Indies upbringing, so that, that makes for straight talking. Uh, but it's also partly his subject matter and his conclusions that have made him spice up what he says, to clap his hands and bang the table and use sometimes provocative nouns and adjectives and verbs in what he says, but for a purpose. He says that his own people, the Ummah, have largely fallen asleep and that there are many sheep and cattle within them. And it's to reach them, isn't it, that he uses language like schoolboy errors. Now, the, the next part there is this, so this man's speaking, um, he's, he's, he's condemned because he was, um, he, he was a Muslim, not necessarily for anything he said, and in responding to these, these criticisms, I would be listing the things that the Sheikh actually said, and I'd often say, well look, here he said this, and I, as a Christian, I recognise this as true. And at the end of an email chain with such a person, before their head usually exploded, they would say, um, I still don't get it, and you would reply then, well, we're asking you why we're not hearing these things from Christians. Yes. So which, have you had any sensible responses at that point? Never. No, 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 no responses to the point, but where is the mainstream church, or certainly the, 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 the large central element of, of the church in saying these things. So the first thing that the Sheikh uh, talked about was the Sabbath. Now there are very few Christians who will talk about that. He talked about um, the nature of government in a way which most Christians avoid doing. Those Christians rest on Romans, Romans 13 and we don't criticise the government although we recognise we must at times but hints we're still getting uh, requests to treat Romans 13 and we will do shortly will God do, willing yeah. yes um, but particularly in our long interview with Sheikh Imran in Exeter which is uh, found if you go to ukcolumn.org and then topics and faith um, he was saying that the Westphalian order which has its strong points um, certainly Mike Robinson is, is a keen advocate of it for good reasons but the Sheikh was saying the Westphalian order is over nations do not have the kind of sovereignty that they had from the mid 17th to the mid 20th century and uh, people's commitment to God and truth overrides what their totalitarian governments demand of them. Um, just think of the Scottish government and the way it's inveigling its way into people's souls, that it's been replicated in many other countries. We haven't heard this from Christians. And the last point in that was, well, he's going to hell. Now, if, if we get into the question of what happens after you die, and the problem with the Greco-Roman, because that's where it comes from, concept of heaven and hell and the immortal soul which is not scriptural and not biblical we will probably say a little else during this interview so we'll maybe leave that one for more more detail later well we could we could just well uh, one sentence on that from the apostle paul but we look for a new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness and many other scriptures point the same way so there, there are many things with this um almost uh, Disney-like sort of um, tabloid version of Christianity that's just not correct. And this is one of the ways we were answering our critics. We were saying, well, uh, if, if you consider that you have the truth and that we are speaking to a man who, who has um, falsehood in his heart, I think a very harsh thing to say of, of the Sheikh, because I, I, on a personal level, I found him uh, gentle and thoughtful yeah. and, and humble. And, and he is an orthodox Sunni Muslim. He doesn't like using labels other than Muslim. Um, but you know, he will, he, although he's making a special effort to find common ground with conservative and scriptural Christians, that's, the, that's he, the, the life calling at the end of his life that he has, he is not resigning from Quranic positions or many authoritative Sunni positions that come from the tradition. Uh, he's quite insistent that Christ did not die on the cross. That's a very fundamental disagreement we have with him. And even more fundamentally, how a man attains forgiveness and grace. And I uncritically uh, or unapologetically use the word man because in historic English it means a person. Uh, how do we know that we're forgiven? A Christian knows that he's forgiven if he's in Christ. And the Sheikh is quite certain on this, together with almost all Muslims, that you just do not know whether you're forgiven. Uh, until you come to the final judgment. So, th there are, there are you know, 
differences between our position and the shape's position, which which we thought was would be obvious to the viewer. We didn't think it required repeating because we thought that these things were well known and well understood. And we were more interested in the areas of agreement. We found those fascinating. But as we received criticism, one of the ways we were responding to Christian critics is to say, well, okay, here you, you're claiming that you have the truth and you're criticizing us for not broadcasting it. Uh, here are some questions about your faith where um, where the conventional Christian line, not the Bible, not scripture, but the conventional interpretation of it, uh, I believe to be an error. And here's why I believe it to be an error. Uh, if you're speaking about uh, a, a belief system, which is the definition of truth, what about these elements? And, and I received no answers. You just received anger yeah. and commandments. Actually, I, before I forget, I must correct, it's the second epistle of Peter that speaks of a looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwell righteousness. But the anger was at the beginning and the end of the email chains, particularly those sent to you, which I had sight of. At the beginning, there was a, a command, and Brian got some as well, fill in this theological doctrinal questionnaire, I command you, before the, the interrogation begins. And at the end, I command you to repent or you're in grave error. But in, in between, in the discussion, where I would be raising things, well, this is what conventional mainstream Christianity says, and this is what the Bible says, and the two are different, and what you're holding to be true just isn't so. Would you like to comment on that? Uh, then there was no engagement. So when, when we were criticised for talking to someone to find agreement over things we, we felt to be true, we were criticised and we were told, well, actually, you know, the person you're talking to is essentially unworthy of having that conversation with you. Um, I mean, I've, I've become I, a bit more Imran Hussein-like in my dealings with certain kind of hotheads. I do tell them, I did sometimes before I got to deal with the Sheikh, but more so now, I tell them that once you've grown up, you can participate in this dialogue. And it belongs to the schoolboy to call someone an idiot and to assume, again, with misplaced certainty, uh, that he knows the intentions of the other party. Uh, assuming bad faith is the classic phrase for what one does not do in dialogue. So the, the response was, well, this man's unworthy because he's a Muslim, therefore you should be only referring to a belief system that, that I have, that I, the, the, the correspondent has. And then when questioned on that belief system, there was no engagement or willingness to discuss. Now, there was a willingness on behalf of the Sheikh to discuss, but the people who are criticising us wouldn't themselves show a willingness to discuss the issues. This they was very interesting. Highly interesting, and more than once, the misplaced certainty was of such a level that they were blithely assuming that what they found in an internet search was true, something that the Sheikh himself uh, stamps upon, quite rightly, rhetorically, whenever he comes across it. Uh, so let me read this out. This is uh, a full email of a couple of paragraphs or a comment left on my telegram channel, I think. Is this a Muslim channel here? I have to assume it is, because the guy who is so prominently featured above is what they call a Muslim scholar. There's an error already. If he's a Muslim scholar, therefore you must be a Muslim channel if you want to feature him. The comment goes on, he is even a graduate, mistake, he did one year, of Al-Azhar, that's the leading Sunni, mainstream Sunni Muslim academic institution for the world in Cairo, Al-Azhar, which has issued fatwas, death sentences, on dissidents. So before I leave this ungodly place, let me state something important. None of you need go to hell. Rather, God has sacrificed his only begotten son, so that everyone who believes in him and dedicates his whole life to him will not be lost, but have eternal life. So that's a presentation of the gospel that you and I believe, but it's been undermined there, hasn't it? with an error which is actually a, a lie besmirching someone's character. A factual error, he's not a graduate, and an error of research because uh, Sheikh Imran has publicly distanced himself from Al-Azhar scholarship and has incessantly said that what he found in Pakistan uh, is a much better line of scholarship. Well, it's also very poor in terms of Christianity because they're saying um, you will not go to hell but you will have eternal life. Now, ok, 
okay, what do they mean by hell? Now, if you read the Bible and you read the word hell as the grave, usually you've got quite a close understanding of the truth. If you take the popular understanding as a place, a place of perpetual torment, then the implication is that you have eternal life anyway. And who in the Bible uh, ever came up with that idea was, of course, the serpent. So you have this um, morass of misunderstanding, which is which is puffed itself up and is so certain that it represents absolute truth. It's not thinking and questioning and has lost any modesty about its beliefs. There is a requirement to reflect, there is a requirement to, to, to say to oneself, are, are my beliefs consistent and coherent? This is the point I was making rational. at Govan last night, wasn't it? I was commending the dissidents from the hard left and the conservative end of the spectrum, CND, the splinter Presbyterians, because they, as early as the 1940s, had been petitioning the Crown not to undo the coronation oath with international military alliances and de facto political union with other countries. And the majority, perhaps 90-95% in the middle of society, had not noticed these things. And I think it's a failure to reflect, isn't it? So, this, this, this strange pomposity, strange mixture of anger and, and arrogance that, that, that we're seeing in that sort of correspondence uh, is it's very disappointing and it doesn't it doesn't have any positive outcome um, that that person would walk away from from that that exchange perhaps feeling superior but not having learned anything I think they feel and to not having taught anything to give them their due they don't feel that uh, that it's incumbent upon them to teach but rather to impart that's the the duty upon them to say their piece and then leave the saloon what kind of character does that attest to that you have to deliver the line and leave and not actually hang around to hear what's heard in what's said in response yeah. it's not a mature character is it time and again we're finding this with uk column People come to us with lots of gifts, often quite a lot of proven courage in their track record. We can tolerate things that we believe are error, as long as they're not foolish and egregious error, or as long as they keep it out of the way of the, the, the cooperation they want to do with us. But what's in short supply is the stability of character to stick around and assist with the work. Yes, stability of character and, and, and a kind of Where's the gentleness? Where's mm. the compassion? Where's um, where's the delivery? Actually, where's the confidence well, that he's right? Yes, the adjectives that spring to mind in what I've just read are brittle and shill. Yes, shrill. Sorry. If you confident, I must apologise for that error because I hate being called a shill myself. So shrill is what I meant to say. If you are, if you're completely convinced that your position is correct and someone else is coming forward with an error then there, there, there doesn't need to be anger, because why would there be? There would be sorrow, wouldn't there? There would be sorrow, yeah. if anything. And the only challenge would be to find a way to understand why the person's in error and explain the thing to him or her in a way that, that allows that error to be overcome. And If you don't have space for that, we've got the best backdrop to explain that. The only way to duke it out is by bashing each other. We're at the North Inch here, aren't we? Which is a meadow by the side of the River Tay in central Perth. And will you explain what went on? Well, there was a dispute that came before the king and the king was sufficiently weak that he couldn't impose any sort of judgment. Uh, and uh, he couldn't uh, establish any sort of law to resolve the dispute. So it was to be resolved by a pitched battle between two clans and uh, a, a horrible bloody scene in, in, ensued and uh, the result was uh, many dead people with uh, horrible wounds and I think one actually went insane through the, I think the, the last one of came barreling down this slope didn't he and took a tumble into the river so in those days nobody pretty much knew how to swim certainly not with their armour on so he presumably drowned 
No, I think he's. I think he stood out there and was sur was surrounded, and that was kind of where it kind of ended. But it was a, a, a horrible event of um, how not to settle an argument. And it is the logical conclusion of the Yabu sucks that we're talking. I mean, we need to tread lightly here because we're talking about Christians and Muslims, right? As Sheikh Imran says, they could be end-time allies, and again, we're going to get flack for saying that. But look into eschatology before you uh, you, you you write that off as a non-starter. Or they could be incited by other elements, and I do not mean Judaism. I'm rather more sophisticated, I hope, than that. But they could be incited by globalist elements to duke it out in much the same manner. Yeah. So the last man standing. Yeah. So the, the way to handle disputes is not uh, the, the battle of the clans in Perth. The way to handle disputes is, as far as possible, with debate and understanding and precision and reason and logic. The, the lack of reason in the, in the criticism that, that has come our way is, is also worrying for this. Uh, it, it, there is no standard of um, coherence and consistency that, that have been held up by the people who are coming with the criticism. It's very unthinking. You and I recognise the set phrases because they're things that people have heard in gospel halls or the online equivalent or the radio equivalent some decades ago. That we can even tell from the datedness of some of them and their age when they would have heard them and probably what circles. And that's gone into the auditory memory and it's come tripping out again rather than scripture and reason. And this is another area that I look at and say, well, where's the confidence that you correct? Because if you're standing on the truth, if you're standing on something that is the most solid ground that, that exists, that is, that is truth as, as defined with the greatest precision, uh, the Puritans used to be called the, the precisionists. The precisionists, yes. And when criticised for being precisionists... And then the 18th century equivalent were called the Methodists because their error, so-called, was to be methodical about their statements. When the Puritans were, were criticised for being precisionists, they turned around and said, well, we worship a precise God. And of course I they reversed the uh, accusation as well and said the rest of you are latitudinarians. <laughs> cutting a lot of slack. So the, the idea here is if, you can, if you're confident that you're standing on the truth, then there is no th there's nothing to fear in reason. Reason will back you up. There's nothing to fear in science, properly understood. There's nothing to fear in nature, because if nature's created by the Creator, it will, it will announce that just as effectively as Scripture in many ways. And there is nothing to fear in any of these things, so you don't need to look away, and you don't need to say your line and then disappear because that implies a certain amount of fear. Yeah, all the Christian criticisms and the single Muslim criticism that I've mentioned come from a place of fear, to use that modern phrase, come from a place. Test that they, they bespeak fear. And you and I, we're going to sound big-headed by saying it, but we might as well. We don't have any fears. Or, or rather, we, we fear God rather than man. And so does Sheikh Imran. So there's an attraction there. Yeah. And we know that it, it gives certain people the heebie-jeebies. You know, again, we don't want to big up ourselves, but th there are people who are apprehensive about dealing with us because anyone who has that degree of resignation about what man can do to them is going to exude a different air than others. And, you know, we we've seen this week in what we've played on UK Column and what the audiences in the Glasgow area have said to us the last couple of evenings, you can see this palpable relief once they actually speak their truth and come to us. There's, there's a weight lifted off their shoulders, isn't an elation that they're actually on the side of truth. Yeah. And and a confidence. And there is not this brittleness, fractiousness. That this this vanishes. Um, I I heard um, a story, a, con a conversion story of a Muslim who converted to Christianity, and he was he was a he was a really hot, strong Muslim, and he was used to intellectually beating up Christians, and he he uh, ends up sharing a room with one. And he saw this chap reading his Bible and he said, you know, do you know that Bible's full of errors? And he said, I should have known when the, when the chap reading the Bible just looked around and smiled and said, tell me. Mm -hmm. right? And it's this, this confidence which comes from, the, from doing the intellectual work. It does. 
It comes from reading, it, it comes from thinking, it comes from debating and being able to consider the other side of the story and say, no, no, I understand, I accurately understand and can fairly reflect what this person believes, but I'm satisfied that's incorrect and here are my reasons. When you get to that point, the need to be aggressive vanishes. You don't have to be our kind of guy by background to have come to that or to have had a particularly intellectual environment because the man you're talking about here, the Christian in that dialogue, was uh, a bad lad of extremely flawed character. Yes. And he put in the intellectual work. Yes. You often find that uh, reformed prisoners put in the intellectual work far more assiduously, whether they become Christians, Muslims, or any other kind of truth seekers, than people with a much better schooling. Do you have do you have more clips there on your phone? I have a couple of one-liners. Right, so I tried to use the phrase because it rhymes. Uh, we were doing this as journalists, not evangelists. Right? But that was not enough to satisfy everyone because the following criticism I got was, well, this doesn't look like investigative journalism to me. See what's happened there? A qualifying adjective has crept in without actually permission, if I can use that word to do so, because investigative journalism is but one kind of journalism, and journalism as a whole is but one part of what UK Column does. We call ourselves a media organisation. Of course people call us journalists for short, and certainly we do very much in investigative journalism as part of that journalism. But there's also documentary journalism, there is intellectual journalism, there's cultural journalism, and beyond that there is campaigning, and I think my favourite term for a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of what we do is analysis. Increasingly the best people from various countries and backgrounds who say they appreciate what we do, say they appreciate our analysis. And you and Brian, as much as me, are always keen to say it's the cycle starts and ends with analysis. There's a loop of analysing error and truth and finding where the lies are and trying to word the correct rebuttal of the lies. So that's what's not been appreciated there. Or how would you approach it if someone said you're supposed to be journalists or in this case you're supposed to be investigative journalists why weren't you down the neck down the throat of that sheikh addressing his errors well yes again there, there's a there's a place for investigating but there's a place for analyzing there's a place for for discovering and we weren't investigating certain things what the what the person writing there perhaps didn't appreciate is what we were investigating we wanted to know why uh, this man with a Muslim background was talking about things that we recognise as Christian when many Christian pastors wouldn't touch the subjects with a 10-foot pole. We wanted to know uh, what he had to say about eschatology because that's a, a line which has generally been a Christian line of, of investigation and no one else pretty much has touched it. So he, he almost is Islamic eschatology. It's, it's a very it's a very small line, but that he represents the pinnacle of that line of thought. And I haven't had come across as to what it is. I haven't come across any other octogenarians who say, and he said it several times privately when I was going around Armenia with him, to conversation partners down to teenage level. Thank you for what you've told me today. You have given me new light on this verse of scripture. I just do not find that in so, much younger men in Christianity. So we, we were investigating, but we were investigating him, right? Not to find his flaws, but to find out why he's there, what makes him tick, where, is, where have the ideas come from, and, and, and what are they? So there was investigation going on. I, I, I do enjoy, however, the, the phrase investigative journalist, because uh, it's now um, synonymous with what the government is calling um, malinformation. You've got disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. And malinformation is information that's true, but is, inc is incredibly embarrassing to the government. And that's what we used to call investigative journalism, but now we call it malinformation. Um, so investigative journalism is, a, is, is a, a, an unpopular sport um, in, in, in these troubled times. And the person was, I think, trying to goad us because they realise this and they know that, that we hold it in high regard and we realise that it's 
part of what we have to do. But it was what we were doing, it was just a more subtle line we were following uh, as, and we were investigating something other than um, tell us the obvious points of disagreement between Islam and Christianity and let's have an argument about them. Subtlety uh, is the key word there, isn't it? Because people are in, an, in a social media age uh, can't often cope if you dial down the confrontation. And, and also there's, there's the unusual aspect of what the Sheikh was bringing and, and, and this gets away from the other problem in social media which is boredom, right? Yes. If it's just another... Treating us as infotainment, I often say. Now. Haranguing match between we've got a Muslim and we've got a Christian seconds out, round two, you know, don't bite in the conscience and have, have some sort of, as the yeah. Sheikh himself described, a boxing match. No one was there to do that. So, pa partly because... It doesn't really can go places, but it often doesn't. It just goes round in circles. That's why the Sheikh eschews it. And a couple of his, let's be charitable as he would be, a couple of his less uh, thoughtful or, or not yet thoughtful viewers from his Muslim audience led comments to that uh, effect. When the Sheikh uploaded the interview to his own channel, one of the Muslim commenters said, only Allah could enable this man to sit there like Khidr, fast on his rock, and take the intellectual, parry the intellectual blows, not that that phrase was used, of three assailants at once. <laughs> As if it was some kind of uh, Semitic version of uh, a martial arts encounter. Yeah. Okay, so you've got, have you got one? I have. One quote left. Yes. Um, from the same person who accused us of investigative journalism, failure of investigative journalism, you know, perhaps insincerely thinking um, this is the only thing they should do because it's one of the things they do. That person wrote, when I joined, and they're talking about my Telegram channel, but I think it can be fairly understood to reflect UK Column as well. When I joined, I assumed or perhaps hoped that it would maintain a Christian position, that is, to be one which contended for the truth of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Notice that the two are being equated here as one and the same. To be a Christian channel must be to contend for the truth in Jesus Christ. My expectations were possibly unfair to Alex, who, on Eastern Approach's Telegram channel, only listed Christianity as a topic of interest, uh, that's actually not the term I used, it's just a channel description, rather than as the foundational basis for all content. I now see this channel, again this could apply by extension to UK Column, as purely political stroke current affairs. The promotion of Islamic teaching, which we're just flat out being accused of, is simply not compatible for the gospel. It's best to accept this channel for what it is, a mix of various, quote, faiths, unquote, and non-faiths, united in the temporal, temporal by secular issues, and to accept it for what it isn't, namely a group of born-again believers united in Christ and Christ alone. So, when I was receiving an, a correspondence much like that, um, you know, I was asking the, the people saying, well, okay, um, the Sheikh was talking about, because it, it kind of, it, it ignores what, what the interview was actually doing and, and what was actually said. Uh, when, if you read that comment, um, we were having some sort of um, um, sales talk on behalf of Islam, and that's not what it was. It was allowing the Sheikh to explain his beliefs, hmm. but it was a discussion. Yeah. And what was actually covered, or well, one of the things that was covered, uh, was the, the, the nature of human government. Right? So where, where does this gentleman perhaps stand on that matter? Where do the churches stand on that matter? We've seen the embarrassment of the government closing down all the churches, and there's a few gallant exceptions. Twelve churches in Scotland. Twelve churches. Good biblical number. This was accepted and uh, as uh, John William Noble said, uh, the, the response has been to behave as though Nicola Sturgeon's the head of the church in Scotland. What does Nicola say? Are we opening this week? Well, what does Nicola say? And this cravenness has been really disappointing. And, and by contrast, the people who have not succumbed to that stand out all the more so. But the vast majority 
have been running around and masking and social distancing and closing the churches and speaking only on YouTube and basically, basically surrendering to the state because the state says, be afraid, and their only response is, oh, how afraid? Very afraid. Oh, I'm very afraid. And, and then the, the gospel preaching stopped. Um, another another matter that I raised is um, the 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 errors that are, that are very common in Christianity that are clearly c contradicted by the Bible, um, and uh, are not discussed. They're, they're not a matter of debate within Christianity. Um, they are a matter of debate when you sit down with someone like the Sheikh. Now he obviously, and, mo and actually all Muslims, will have a very negative view of the concept of the Trinity. But the Trinity was not anything to do with Christianity for at least the first 400 years. It's a concept that came along later and yet now is portrayed as being foundational and in fact essential. Whereas it was never mentioned by Christ, it wasn't part of the Apostles' teaching, it was absent. So one biblical Unitarian, because there's also Universalist Unitarians, one biblical Unitarian has put it to me this way, that at the least, Christian parachurch organizations and people espousing Christianity in public cannot be allowed to get away with the idea that you must be a Trinitarian in order to be a Bible believer. Yes. That's the, the, the gentlest way you could yes. put it. If people recoil in shock that I've said that, then you're writing off the first four centuries of the church. Yeah. Of course, the trick that's played is to say, no, that wasn't the early church. This was the, the primitive church because they didn't have their creeds yet. Well, they did. It was scripture. Yes. And to suggest to suggest that, um, well, okay, we had Jesus Christ and the apostles, but that was primitive. We are the A-team. We really know what's going on. Is the sort of arrogance you get from... We, we are Plato'd up. Every religion under the, under the sun, and it's very unimpressive. So that, there's that, right? The, 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 uh, the, there's also the issue of the law. And again, this is something that mainstream Christianity gets very nervous about. Um, what's well, done away with, it's nailed to the cross. That's not what said. Christ said. He came to fulfill the law and said, no, no part of it, no, not a jot of it will pass away to all be fulfilled. And we can have that debate too with the sheikh. And we can talk about things such as the Sabbath, which is in the Ten Commandments, and is ignored by most uh, mainstream Christian denominations. And the few that don't ignore it transpose it onto the first day of the week. Um, with a few exceptions, there are a few churches that don't, but, but uh, for the most part that's what we've got. And then you've got the issue of um, the only symbol, the only sign that Christ gave that he was the Messiah that he'd spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And that, in mainstream Christianity, is reduced to one day and two nights. So they have um, as the, the greatest festival in Christianity, we're told, is Easter, Easter, uh, you know, Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Um, that's one day and two nights. That actually opposes the one sign that Christ gave that he was in fact the Son of God. Now that's that's an enormous issue. Is it discussed? No, it's not discussed. It's well, you, it's you get, well, well you see of course day, part of days count for whole days among the Jews. Uh, have you been among the Jews? Have you actually heard them <laughs> say this? I, I've only heard Christians saying this about the Jews. Yes, and how many, and how many days because nobody disputes how many days Jonah was in the, was in the fish. Um, so, and three he, days is repeated in the book of Jonah when he gets to Nineveh in chapter 3. Nineveh is a great city of three days journey, which is the only correct way to translate the Hebrew, and English is elegant in doing it that way. And if you use a periphrastic translation because the readers are too thick in your judgment and say it took three days to cross, which isn't true even of Los Angeles today, uh, or uh, it took three days to get around, you've completely lost the Christological reference, haven't you? A city of three days' journey is the world being redeemed, or that part of the world that believes in Christ being redeemed by the crucifixion. So you have these absolutely central issues in Christianity. Go to the book of Revelation. What does Christ, what does God's people at the very end look like? Those are the people 
who have the faith of Jesus Christ and the commandments of God. So both faith and commandments, the, the, the adherence to commandments, are vital. And that's not really discussed. So there are big, big problems in Christianity that need to be discussed, that should be discussed, and are generally speaking ignored. And this is this gets down to the core of theology and when theological errors are made because they're so fundamental in how people see the world. Theology, a lot of people think it's just it's very ethereal, it doesn't really affect day-to-day -day life, it doesn't really matter if you have one theology or another, but errors at that level fundamentally change how people see the world, how they see their fellow man, how they behave, and... and says that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Yeah. And how they treat others, and it can cause huge harm, huge devastating harm to people who are on the wrong side of theological error and, and the abuse that so often comes with it. The Scottish Government, the Westminster Government, the think tanks that fuel them are theologically convinced of what they have to do to us, and that's why they're doing it. So all of these things are, are vital, and we only scratched the surface in this interview with the Sheikh. It was the first time I'd met him. Uh, Alex had had some, some interaction with him before. It was the first time Brian had met him. But we got into interesting areas, and we got into interesting areas that are of vital importance um, for everybody on the earth, um, whether you consider yourself Christian Muslim uh, or you don't know. These are issues that we should be discussing and talking about and debating. And I find the idea that the people come and say, no, no, mainstream Christianity, or more, more typically my branch of Protestantism, mm. which tends to be the, the line, has everything sorted. We have the truth, you must, you must simply repeat our truth because it's perfect and it needs to You're be right. broadcast. Roman Catholicism and traditional Eastern Orthodoxy also claim to be the exclusive visible unity of the church with the truth, yet they do not make these asper cast these aspersions on dialogue with sensible Muslims, do they? No, they don't. It's only flint a splinter groups in Protestantism that do. And when then challenged to say, well, okay, if you have all the truth, what about how long Christ was in the grave? What about keeping the Sabbath? What about um, and, well, any number of issues? And the response is, you shouldn't be talking about this. Well, this, no, this was settled in 1673. There's no engagement. There's no engagement, there's no debate, there's no willingness to discuss. But what there is, in their silence, in the embarrassed silence that follows, is an admission that, yeah, I know. In fact, sometimes I actually got an explicit omission. Yes, the, the line of Christianity, my church, has many, many errors. But... It's still, it's still the truth, even, but I, I accept it has a lot of errors. Well, there's no error in God, there's no error in Christ. If there's error in your church, you should be chasing it out. You well, should be chasing it down and analysing it and trying to understand it and questioning it until it can be defeated. But the, the problem is, most of the Reformation is what's known as the Magisterial Reformation, which is inheriting the mantle of the papacy and just Protestantizing it and having a Protestant Pope or synod uh, telling you, Pope-like, above contradiction, what to believe, isn't it? So the, the Dutch Reformed are quite a mirror image of the Scottish, Scottish Calvinists, so it's useful to compare them. The Dutch Reformed that I married into had a secession or a disruption very much around the same time as Scotland, so the most pious people left the mother church, the state church, and they had a very stark choice to make, which the free church in Scotland didn't have to make, mercifully, which is, do we go with piety or learning? So if you wanted to be faithful to scripture, you were going to have to take your learning second-hand among the Dutch. And there's been six generations since that we're just about rectifying it now. But uh, mainly the Dutch free churches, Protestant free churches, do not have their own institutions of study. Right? So that's perhaps part of the error there. And you're referring, of course, to more ev evangelical or charismatic streams of Christianity, where when you prod, what comes out is a pat phrase or sometimes a chorus. You know, if, if you ask people about the law, uh, the interaction of law and gospel, what you'll get back is spoken or sung a chorus like free from the law, oh happy condition. You know, it's as, as trite as trite could be, isn't it? So, um, we, we were happy with the way the interview went because we felt it got, it, it, it brought out into, uh, into the, the UK column public arena 
some really interesting areas, really interesting concepts and ideas. Probably first and foremost is, uh, we will talk to anybody who is thoughtful and who is going to hold themselves to an acceptable standard both of conduct and also of reason. We don't expect to convince them but we'll happily talk to them and um, we'll happily learn what we can learn. And it, crucially Sheikh Imran wasn't seeking to convert us or anyone else no. to Islam and I've seen his acolytes speaking to Christians in Armenia and saying I urge you to turn back to the Bible and faith in Christ. They're not seeking to convert people to Islam. I mean, one of the things that Sheikh said is he wants to see Christians fall back in love with the scripture. This is not a, 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 a raid on Christendom to try and carry people away. This, it's not what it was at all. And one of the other things is you have a particular worldview, as Rune does. Theology very often is at the very core of it, very base of it. And you build up experience and culture and various identities and it builds up into a worldview. Until finally you're, it's so, you're so imbued with it that you can trot out a phrase like, I don't have a worldview, I just have the Bible. But of course you do have You one. do have a worldview. Right? And a worldview, another word for it is a faith, because when, I, when I interact... The, the term conviction covers yeah. both of those. Yeah. When I interact with, uh, there's a certain hardcore uh, um, protection committee on the internet around the theory of evolution. Mm. Right? And they're very aggressive, and they're very boring. And I interacted with them a few times, and I, en I en ended up just uh, listing all the all the rhetorical devices they use, and it was 10 of them. And um, I just posted that. And whenever they came at me, I just posted the, the, the list and said, it's number five. Yeah. Right? Because they just had these same trite things they would go around. So you just press the relevant trope button. Yeah. yeah. So, but one, interacting with him, it was very, very clear to me that what I was dealing with was a faith. Yeah. Articles of faith. It was articles of faith. It wasn't reason-based, although one of the articles of faith is, I'm standing on science and reason and you're, you're a, a mad conspiracy. Mm. Uh, I don't need to enunciate my creed, if you want to compare it with the free churches and Protestantism, the non-creedal churches, because it's all there in, in this case, the Gospel of Darwin. Exactly so. So, you're dealing with a, you're dealing with a, a, a faith. A belief system. And essentially this is one of the problems that atheism has, is that it's impossible to operate through life without faith. You will have a faith, a belief, a worldview, call it what you will, it's all the same thing. And you cannot operate as a human being without one. So um, the atheists have a have a have a belief system, right? And this belief system is based on, you know, Big Bang, science has got everything explained, etc. Um, Uniformitarianism is a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, now, the for the people watching the call, what we encourage is thought and reflection and debate, and the ability to 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 question your own belief system and to question other people, so that you're yes. constantly refining that worldview. I thought you're moving in a process that's going to be lifelong from where you start to where you end and hopefully you end nearer the truth and, uh, and increasing in understanding and increasing in your ability to act as a human being with, with compassion and concern for others and to be useful to others and to be um, reliable in a crisis and all of these good things that come from what you are on the inside, come from your worldview, come from your belief system. So we're encouraging all of these developments in our viewers and, and putting information out there to say, think about this, take something, if you wish, take something away from this that will enhance your ability to understand the world, will enhance the accuracy of your worldview, and if you can take something from that, then uh, we are delighted when we've done our job. And I f the reason I was happy with the interview with the Sheikh is I felt there were, there were many parts of it that had little snippets that people could benefit from along those lines. Not just in what he said, but also in what 
what we were saying and the questions we were asking. Which we wouldn't have got to say, or he wouldn't have had the freedom to enunciate, if we had been saying, but please, surely Christ really died on the cross. Yes, where does that argument go? I mean, you, 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 it's not conducive to the rest it's not of the conducive. dialogue. I mean, it, it's uh, he a, knows it's jolly well what we believe about Christ. Yes, and I, I, it's a very interesting topic as a topic, um, and it's a very interesting topic in that um, in the last 20 or 30 years, um, biblical scholarship has turned, of, turned from being extremely sceptical on this subject to saying, actually, the fact that uh, Christ was crucified, he was put in the grave, and three days later that, that grave was empty, is the most well-attested fact in ancient history bar none. In fact, I think a former Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales said that. Um, is a is a is a point which has been um, a, a major surprise for many critics of Christianity, including some of the Muslim critics that we picked up from this interview. The, the fact that that's the that's the intellectual case, and that intellectual case has been made so soundly and, and thoroughly, is a surprise to Muslims because they are often led by mm. people who are not of the intellectual calibre. This, of Imran Hussein. The, the main line, the Darul Ulum, which yeah. is uh, something that Sheikh Hussein criticises as really not worth the time of day. Right. To believe that the argument in favour of, uh, of of Christ uh, and the resurrection is is weak and or laughable when it's nothing of the sort. But that wasn't the purpose of this interview. The purpose of this interview was to explore how come we have this Muslim man speaking things which we we recognise as true, and what does this man, being the very centre and heart of Islamic eschatology, actually think and believe? That's what, and what we were difference does it make to his conduct, which it clearly does, yeah. because he treats people as grown-ups. Yeah. Um, the other day some subscribers on my Eastern Approaches Telegram channel were having a barney about something, and I've given I like to, to lead the channel gently towards civilised discourse in the classical sense, so I encourage them, for example, never to assume bad faith. So halfway through this ding-dong, two of these uh, people having a, 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 a de debate, or well, slinging mud at each other, stopped slinging mud, and said, well, I'll start treating you as a gentleman now. And the key bit was one of them said to the other, I would have thought that as you're signed up to this channel, sir, you would have more understanding than the background population does of how one's worldview uh, affects one's assumptions, even, and that it, at the very least one needs to think, does my worldview give me certain biases? So that, that's, I think, is where we're, we're heading. But with that in mind, another subscriber of mine on the Telegram channel posted a question which I posted back to the main group saying, Alex, as a Christian leader, do you think such and such? And as usual, you show respect for people, you post the words they use spontaneously, just like other people would say sometimes as a Christian journalist, although I have my qualifications about that, it gives a certain pattern of expectations, a straitjacket, so I, when I can I say, well, I'm not always a journalist. But anyway, I, I forwarded that to the channel. Uh, no sooner had I done that than an emotionally unstable member of the channel said, Alex, you must immediately correct this misapprehension. If you accept being called a Christian leader, you're full of arrogance. The, the, the issue of speaking with a... Uh, um, the issue of speaking uh, with a label is always difficult. Right? Gilad Artsman has commented on this when he's talking about people don't speak anymore, they speak as a, as a, as a, as a, as a gay man, as a black. As what, yeah. It's always as a member of a group. So they don't have a view that's out with the group identity. It's sort of like they don't exist outside the group. Fungibility. You've seen one, you've seen them all. It's, it's fundamentally discourteous and undignified. It is, and it's treating people as though they are cattle. Right? They're just all the same. Because I, I, I know you, you are black man, gay man, whatever. I've, I've, I've met one of you, I've met them all. This is not the nature of human beings. This is not what we are, who we are. And it's not how we should treat one another. Um, so and, and we got that very naively in this case. You know, you shouldn't be speaking to a Muslim because he wants to chop your head off. So the, the whole issue of not being centred on the group identity, but looking at the individual, looking at the specific human being in front of you, listening to the words they actually say, not concentrating on your understanding of things they might disagree 
the fuel. This gets quite hair-raising for some, doesn't it? Because it involves, without recriminations, it involves a healthy degree of scepticism, not suspicion, but scepticism, about the people who worship in the pew with you, or the man who's up front in the pulpit. You can't blindly assume he has the same worldview as you, or that he believes what he says. Yeah. That's what the last two years have shown us. Yes. And what, what we can no longer rely on, in fact, Duke Ellington used to say, I always like to quote Duke Ellington, that, that he, he travelled the world and he, he played the music in front of people who'd never heard the word jazz. So the definition, the group identity, the, na the, the, the music label, it didn't matter. They didn't know what this was. He said, if it's passionate, they'll respond. If it's exciting, they'll respond. If it's heartfelt, they'll respond. They, the people responded to some essential quality, not the label. And when we go out and someone will, will, will say, well, I'm a Christian, and you get sometimes the, the qualifications, how long have you been a Christian, I'm an elder, and this and that. Fine. That's not usually a good sign. When you see the, the, the light of Jesus Christ shining out of their eyes, then you know. Yeah. Right? And they don't need to tell you, you just know what you're dealing with. And it's the quality of the individual that matters. So we don't get hung up. If somebody is kind enough to pay us the compliments when we've commented on some social situation and they, they respond by saying, great journalism, you don't say, well, actually, that wasn't journalism, that was analysis. You say, thank you very much. So, um, how would you like to sort of close this off, Alex, and your few final words? We've been at this quite some time. I think it's such an open-ended subject. We can't really tie it together that cleanly, but perhaps we'll say, suspend judgment. You know, take heed how you hear, to quote the Lord Jesus Christ. And he actually went on to say, the measure that you use will be measured back to you in your dealings with others. Right? So there is a a natural law involved there. Perhaps I should also read the um, the also runs for people who used a single word or phrase which disqualified them from further participation in an, an adult discussion. Um, these were some of the first things that were slung at us. And okay, I'm more sensitive to language than most, and I'm more experienced than most, so I'll uh, I'll, I'll let that pass for many people, but not here because this was egregious and actually telling lies about people. So one of us, one of the viewers said. You were sitting at his feet. Were we sitting at his feet? No. No, we were at the same height. And you could see that perfectly well in the recording, right? So no further engagement with such a person. You shouldn't have been speaking to a guru. Is he a guru? No. He's a sheikh. Okay. You were simpering. At what timestamp did we simper? <laughs> You're not supposed to ask that in response, are you? Because it's something that's supposed to be allowed to, to, to have people get away with isn't it, as a, as a, as a tar, a, a, a brush to, to tar you with. And you were sellouts. Well, what did we sell out from? Yeah, in what way was there any, was, there was no compromise with anything that wasn't true there. The, the one bit we didn't pick him up on, because it was late and we'd been talking for, at this point, about two and a half hours. He said that he was a big fan of George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw is one of my particular dislikes when it comes to human beings. I covered him in Alternative U9. Yeah, right. a particularly nasty piece of work. And I thought, do I do I go into this? But There was no need because the Sheikh followed up immediately with his reason, as an adult should. Right? He said, I like him because he was magnanimous about Islam at a time when most of the British establishment would just write it off. And uh, so you, you also, understand also the there was the issue of, he's 83 years old, we've been talking by the moon. for two, by by the moon. The moon. we've been talking for two and a half hours, he was clearly getting tired, and I decided, no, we'll let that one go. So that was the only bit we didn't pick up something that we, we might have, and it was really just because it was very, it was a side comment, and it was late in the day. But I don't think there was any compromise, really, apart from that. Um, from my point, I have to say I enjoyed the, the conversation. I hope to do it again sometime. Uh, I've got a whole series of questions that I, I put to the Christian uh, uh, critics that, that, that came to um, address this with me on email uh, that I plan to put to the Sheikh if, I, if we do a follow-up interview. So we'll Which he is keen to do. We'll, we'll, sh we'll see how, how he does with them because the, the, the Christian critics 
uh, wouldn't answer these questions. So we'll see if the Sheikh does any better. And uh, we would like to repeat the process. We found it interesting and worthwhile. And I hope many of you watching uh, did as well. And, um, and if any of you are hate watching, watch your language or you might find yourself sliced and diced in the next wash up. <laughs> well, with that threat here on uh, the site of the Battle of the Clans, I think, Alex, we should leave it. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening, and uh, until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.